Brian Kemp gets four more years, and the Senate race appears headed to a runoff. But looking at the results tonight, we made sure that Stacey Abrams is not going to be our governor or your next president. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Well, in today's episode, we're going to run down our instant takes on the biggest races in Georgia because we just spent about four or five hours sitting next to each other at Governor Kemp's election watch party. And there's still some, you know, there's still tens of thousands of ballots still outstanding. So things could change. But looks like uh, not only has Governor Kemp won his rematch with Stacey Abrams, but down ticket Democrats swept other statewide offices. And the only Democrat left standing as of this this moment is uh, in a statewide race is Senator Raphael Warnock, who is headed towards, it looks like, a December 6th runoff. So we'll have four more weeks of the national attention being focused on Georgia's Senate race. Yeah, we hung in there as long as we could, Greg. It's 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> we just couldn't. Uh, we're not going to get enough information about that race to hear one way or another before the morning, whether that's definitely going to go to a runoff, but it sure does look like it. But it's so interesting, as we were watching those returns, it became clear very, very quickly that there was a big spread between Governor Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker. Obviously, there was a big spread between Governor Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. That was very obvious. But when we started to look at the vote totals, at first it was about 10,000 votes, then it was about 20,000 votes, about 30,000 votes, a very large difference between how Republic, it looks like Republicans, how Republicans were treating Governor Kemp and Herschel Walker. The same people who were voting for Brian Kemp were not all voting for Herschel Walker. They were either not voting or they were casting their votes for Raphael Warnock. And it looks like that is the reason that this is going to run off. Although uh, every other Republican on that statewide ticket, if you look up and down the ballot, all over 50%, Herschel Walker really was just stubbornly under 50%, never did get over 50% quite yet um, as of this hour. And so it looks like this is going to be going into overtime, but that Kemp-Abrams race, there's just a whole lot to unpack there. We'll get into more of that after this break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, Patricia, let's start with the governor's race. Four years ago, the governor's race ended 
in the most narrow of margins, just a 55,000 or so votes separated Governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams. That was the closest gubernatorial election in decades in Georgia um, in terms of the margin. And Stacey Abrams famously did not concede. Governor Kemp never really got his victory lap because even after he won, there was a, Democrats put an asterisk by his name in press releases and the non-concession sort of overshadowed his victory. He came in without really a mandate. Well, now he's got what it looks like to be a seven, eight point victory over Stacey Abrams. And as we heard in his victory speech, you know, this wasn't a conciliatory victory speech where he talked about unity. That might come in his, in his inauguration speech, his second inauguration speech. This was pretty fiery. Let's hear a snippet of this. Just like we have stayed focused on putting you first throughout my first term, we woke up every single day talking about how to build a safer, stronger Georgia for you and your family and help your family fight through Joe Biden's 40-year high inflation. So, Patricia, he also, as we heard earlier, took a swipe at Stacey Abrams. To me, it was really interesting because I've heard his stump speeches, it feels like, a thousand times. And often when he talks about his decision to roll back economic restrictions early in the pandemic, he mentions the national media, he mentions pundits, he mentions Stacey Abrams as his critics. What he doesn't say is former President Donald Trump. Tonight was an exception. He said, presidents past and present. So look, he's not afraid now <laughs> to swipe back at Donald Trump because what has he got to lose? He, he just won four more years and the former president's antagonism didn't get Trump's allies anywhere, right? David Perdue got shellacked and now Trump had to pretty much stay silent and even endorsed Brian Kemp late last night. So, you know, uh, this is a governor who now has a mandate to pursue a second term agenda. We don't know much about what that will be, but we know that eight points, seven points in Georgia, uh, the tightest, most politically competitive state, one of the most politically competitive states in the nation is a blowout. Yes. And when Governor Kemp was going up against Donald Trump in the aftermath of the 2020 elections, it really felt like he was on an island. And possibly his only visitor on that island was Brad Raffensperger, who was in the very similar position as he was. <laughs> but you really, we heard very little from Kemp at that time. Nobody was really coming out publicly to defend Governor Kemp at that time because they were worried about getting in trouble with Donald Trump themselves. But I have been so struck over the course of this year, over the course of the governor's campaign, how he has started to amass allies with him. And in addition to the other uh, governors who came out for him as surrogates, along with Vice President Pence, who we saw, there were many, many state senators state House members in that room for his victory party. And so when he was saying, you know, talking about uh, presidents past and present, he is saying that with the support of all of these people behind him now. It's no longer just mm -hmm. Donald Trump against Brian Kemp. It's sort of Donald Trump against the the world that is surrounding Brian Kemp now, the sort of alternative to the Trump universe. And Kemp has managed to have a massive, massive feud against Donald Trump, thread the needle through a primary and then through a very serious uh, general election rematch to come out stronger than ever. It's really been really quite something to see. The flip side of that coin is Stacey Abrams, who has now been defeated by Governor Kemp twice 
in the last four years. She lost in 2018. She lost again on Tuesday. This is someone who, after her defeat in 2018, became an even bigger political star. Uh, she gave the response to then-President Trump's State of the Union address. She sold out venues all over the nation. She was on talk shows and late-night comedy shows and podcasts that had huge audiences. I mean, you name it. She was on The View. She, she could get on Fox News with a snap of the finger. And now her political future is uncertain. I mean, literally, just a few years ago, she was being talked about as a potential vice president and even talked about running for president herself. And now she's lost statewide in Georgia twice, and her political fate is just unknown. Here's what her message was to supporters. Tonight, I am, I am doing what is clearly the responsible thing. I am suspending my campaign for governor. I love you, too. <laughs> I may no longer be seeking the office of governor, but I will never stop doing everything in my power to ensure that the people of Georgia have a voice. Patricia, she didn't give too many clues about what she was going to do next. And, you know, frankly, she might not even have a plan for what she's going to do next, right? I mean, you know, we've been so close to these campaigns. I think it's safe to say that many people in that campaign did not think they were going to lose tonight. They were planning for a runoff, even though, you know, the polls and, and other data showed long before tonight that she was in a very uphill battle. But I don't think we've heard the last of Stacey Abrams, though it's hard to imagine her making a third run for governor or other statewide office in 2026. Yes, that is hard to imagine. Of course, lots of things are hard to imagine in Georgia politics. And lo and behold, (laughs) the unimaginable actually happens. So um, so we don't know what's going to happen with Stacey Abrams. She's obviously an incredibly brilliant woman, unbelievably well connect doesn't well connected doesn't even begin to describe how interlaced she is with the upper echelons of government, entertainment, business at this point. So it really does seem like she's going to have a lot of options going forward, even if it's not a statewide elected office right now. To me, an almost bigger question is what happens with Democrats in Georgia? Because the the very firm belief of Democrats in the state over the last eight years minimum was that they were the ascendant party, that if you looked at the trends of elections here in the state, that they were narrowing the gap. So go from uh, 2018 of 55,000 votes, 2020, uh, Joe Biden winning by 11,000 votes, and uh, then rolling into 2022, there really was just the very strong belief that this was the time for the pendulum to swing further to the left, for them to take advantage of the timing of the demographics, of the politics of this state, of the changing electorate, and their very top, top strongest candidate at the top of the ticket in Stacey Abrams, that all the stars were aligning for the Democrats in 2022. And for Abrams to lose by what looks like about a nine-point spread for every one of the statewide Democrats beneath her on the ticket, except for Raphael Warnock, to be losing outright no runoffs for those candidates and big spreads with those candidates between their Republican rivals as well. Um, They're really going to have to, it seems like, go back to the drawing board and figure out what's ahead for this party. Do they assume that as demographics change, those demographics will flow to the Democrats? Or do they need to do 
more than that. And uh, what kind of, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of inroads Republicans made with uh, Latino voters, with Black voters, with Asian voters. Uh, It is just such an incredibly dynamic set of groups. Uh, They don't feel static right now. They don't feel like they've just made their final choice to vote for Democrats and stick with Democrats. So um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, probably second guessing because that's just natural in politics. That's what happens um, after a party loses. Uh, But then there's going to have to be a really deep dive on data and then probably some soul searching about what this party is and what it needs to be going forward to really start to win and have durable majorities. Well, let's switch gears and talk about the U.S. Senate race because that's the other giant race it looks headed to a runoff. I mean, as I'm talking, I'm seeing minor deviations in the vote. You know, uh, Senator Warnock just picked up 0.01% of the vote with another trove of ballots coming in. We're still waiting on some some ballots here and there, but it doesn't look like the, the underlying dynamics are going to change. I think to me, the biggest question right now is going to be in a runoff, if it's for control of the U.S. Senate or if it's just for seat number 52. And as we were speaking, Patricia, Pennsylvania was called for Fetterman. So Democrats have picked up, they flipped that U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Right now, Arizona's up in the air. Nevada's up in the air. Georgia, of course, is up in the air. By the time a lot of you hear this, those races may not be up in the air anymore. But either way, to me, if Senate controls on the line, this becomes sort of a replay of 2021, not in the, the outcome, but just hundreds of millions of dollars will be spent on this race and it'll be a you know battle for control of the Senate. But if this is for seat number 52 and Republicans already have control for the Senate, then it's going to be a little harder to me, at least. The challenge will be for Herschel Walker supporters uh, to try to get those skeptics back in. You know, there's a lot of people who kind of held their nose. We've talked to many of them. We saw a significant split ticket trend in the first round of voting. And there's other Republicans who have concerns about Herschel Walker. How do you get them back out to vote if Senate controls not on the line? That's going to be a challenge for Herschel Walker supporters. And I was I just left his party and a handful of operatives there were, were outlining the big task they have ahead. And they were already fretting about it, even as they were celebrating the fact that, that there's a runoff and that he wasn't defeated. Yeah. And how do you get him out to the polls if Brian Kemp is not at the top of the ticket and Brian Kemp's ground operation is not back out there doing the work of getting Mm -hmm. voters to the polls. Um, The Kemp operation had its entire own field operation this time around. And that was a huge part of uh, Kemp's win. What does that do to Herschel Walker without that out there? We know there will be tons and tons of money plowed into this race. Again, and I think you're exactly right. If this comes down to control of the U.S. Senate, that will certainly abound to Herschel Walker. Because in the polling that we look at, we see that Raphael Warnock is out pacing Herschel Walker on any number of personal attributes, honest and trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rafa Warnock is up uh, 10 points over Herschel Walker, ready for the job, capable of the job, has the right experience. Rafael Warnock is up double digits in all of his attributes. Um, Yet Herschel Walker was still tied with Rafael Warnock. And that is because of the question of national control. You know, do you want to, is this going to be a vote about Herschel Walker or is this going to be a vote about 
Joe Biden. And mm-hmm. if it's about control of the U.S. Senate, it's going to be about Joe Biden. And that would be a huge boost for Herschel Walker and his hopes. But if it's just between the two of them and just about the two of them, then it really starts to feel like uh, Raphael Warnock would be in the driver's seat in that contest. We are going to have a very long four weeks if, if I this goes to love. So, so eat, eat your Wheaties. <laughs> let's, take a, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the down ticket races that are, that are so important as well. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders who write the morning jolt. And right now we're taping this at around 2 a.m. So, Patricia, you're, you are already planning to be up in an hour. Um, <laughs> you might as well not even go to bed. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to I'm bed. Not. <laughs> no, I believe every minute counts. Every minute counts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the type of person, if I sleep for an hour or two and then wake up because I've got a TV hit at five. So if I sleep for a couple hours, I'll, I'll be even worse. I might as well just power through it. But, but I guess that's another area where we're very different people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think the Morning Joe newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you subscribe to the AJC, join our community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts in your first month of a limited digital access just 99 cents. Okay, Patricia, this is not a surprise, but as goes Governor Kemp, so goes the rest of the ticket. And again, this goes back to what you were just talking about with the Senate race, which is that Kemp machine is very powerful. And we, you know, and and his, his name, his poll helped pull over, you know, a lot of these down ticket candidates who swept all these down ticket races, uh, as far as we can tell, you know, some of them haven't been called yet. But each of the Republicans have significant leads over their Democratic rivals. And the way Kemp decides to act in a runoff will be a big deal because, you know, as we saw in the final days of this race, Kemp and Walker had nothing to do with each other, even to the point of dueling rallies on Election Eve and, frankly, dueling victory parties across the street from each other at the Battery, where there was very little, there was people who went back and forth, but Kemp didn't show up at Walker's, Walker didn't show up at Kemp's, not that we expected them to, but same thing at the rally on Monday. These are two very distinct campaigns and very distinct candidates who have not campaigned together. And so we did see the the poll of Governor Kemp's name helping, you know, down ticket candidates, but they also, of course, the Republicans ran very solid campaigns Brad Raffensperger easily beat, beat Wem. This is what the Democratic state representative told her supporters 
But I can tell you one thing, the polls were wrong. This is not going to be a 19-point race, I can tell you that much. She's referring to a poll a few months ago that showed her back about 19, 20 points, and she'd certainly narrowed that gap. But Patricia, you know, Brad Raffensperger was basically left for dead last year. People like me didn't even think he would qualify to run. And not only did he beat a Republican challenger backed by Donald Trump, but but he, he landed a convincing victory over Bean Wim, in part because we can assume, uh, we won't know for sure, but crossover Democratic voters who uh, wanted to uh, praise Brad Raffensperger to reward him for his stand against Donald Trump. He might have lost some Republican MAGA supporters because uh, of that infamous phone call, but I think he uh, he ended up picking up well, we'll see, but there's no way to t- totally know. But he certainly ended up, uh, it looks like he ended up picking up some crossover votes as well. Yeah, and he was um, one of the statewide Republicans who was out there with Governor Brian Kemp on this statewide fly round at the election eve unity rally. Brian Kemp was right there with Brad Raffensperger, right there with all of these other down-ticket uh, Republicans, except again, Herschel Walker. And There was a period of time when Governor Kemp was not coming out strongly for Herschel Walker, was not saying that he would go out and campaign for Herschel Walker. That made sense at the time because he was polling way ahead of Herschel Walker. And certainly it's unusual for one uh, candidate to spend a lot of time with another candidate who's not up in the polls where he is. Um, I have been more confused about why Herschel Walker did not want to spend time with Brian Kemp. And when I say did not want to spend time with, I just mean did not do rallies with Brian Kemp, did not join Kemp on that statewide tour, did not, again, have a victory party. Um, You know, they all like to have kind of their own victory parties. Um, But when Brian Kemp signaled uh, that he was ready and willing and happy to campaign with Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker did not return the favor. And so when we're looking at it, this is going to be the narrowest of margins. If this stays in runoff territory, there are going to be a lot of things that you have to wonder if the Herschel Walker campaign had done differently, could they have cleared that bar? Because going into election day, we were starting to hear from Republicans who said that the the margin that Brian Kemp has over 50 percent could possibly bring Herschel Walker with him over the 50 percent mark so that Herschel Walker yep. could look at not having to go through a runoff and have to reset this campaign all over again. What are the things that Herschel Walker could have done to avoid that fate? Now, the fact that Herschel Walker is in this race at all, given the many allegations against him, is sort of its own kind of political riddle that we'll have to do some thinking about as well. It has a lot to do with his, not just his name ID, but the way Georgians feel like they know him like him and trust him and uh, Mm -hmm. don't like Joe Biden a lot right now. You know, there's sort of a whole cocktail of uh, ingredients going into Herschel Walker's success at the moment. And, um, but you just have to wonder if you had done, you know, this one small thing because you have avoided a runoff altogether. We'll see. You know, and I could flip the question, right? Because a lot of people were shocked. How could Senator Warnock be dragged into runoff by Herschel Walker, given all his baggage, given all the issues that we've talked about. But you could flip the script because, look, yep. Senator Warnock is the only Democrat standing right now as of as of this taping. He's the only Democrat who, who has a statewide Democrat who has a chance at victory right now. And another question you could pose is how did he get to this position? And one of the answers is he ran away from Joe Biden. 
He was talking more about working with Ted Cruz than working with Joe Biden. There's a lot of different answers, and we're going to explore them in, in some stories coming up that I still have to finish overnight, to be, to be honest. But <laughs> it's going to be a long night, folks. Um, but uh, but no, that that is a part of the uh, of the calculus here is that, you know, yes, Herschel Walker had lots of baggage, and that dented his support. But I think if Senator Warnock ran as just your conventional Democratic candidate, um, who tied him, you know, who was aligned. If Senator Warnock ran the same campaign he ran two years ago, you might not see him in the position he is now. But he struck out some different messaging. He talked a lot about working with the Republicans. He talked about how he's the 18th most bipartisan senator in Congress. And again, he, he even though he got some grief from, from media and from liberals and from others for not wanting to answer the question about whether or not Joe Biden should run for re-election, it played into that relentless appeal towards those wary Republican voters who just couldn't vote for Herschel Walker. Patricia, uh, one more race we should talk about was the only competitive or the most competitive U.S. House race in Georgia. And it really is the only U.S. House race that was competitive. That was down in the 2nd District, um, Southwest Georgia. Sanford Bishop holds off Republican Chris West. This was a big hold for Democrats. Um, they're trying to hold Senator Warnock. That would be a bigger hold. But the fact that that second district seat did not flip, despite a very strong Republican contender who worked his tail off, who was everywhere, especially the last few weeks. Sanford Bishop also, you know, stepped up his campaigning in a major way. This was a major victory for Democrats as they are trying at this moment to keep control of the U.S. House. Yes. And uh, that second district was the kind of race that if there were a huge national red wave, as we had heard about, had there been this red wave, that second district could have been one of those races that was swept up into a situation like that, just depending on how dire the national environment was for Democrats. Um, However, that really has not materialized. Uh, Democrats are certainly going to lose seats in the House, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a 60-seat blowout, as has been um, the case in the recent past for Democrats. So that second district really did not end up being all that competitive after all. A 10-point spread, of course, that's closer than um, Sanford Bishop has gotten in many, many years, but this is the first really competitive race he's had. I think that as long as he um, continues to stay in Congress, he can now expect competitive races. That has that seat has been redrawn to be a little bit more competitive for Republicans. It's not a red district, but it did. Uh, it was redrawn in favor of Republicans a little bit. And so... I mean, yeah, slightly more competitive. Right? Yeah, slightly yeah. more competitive. So Sanford Bishop ran a real strong campaign. He also got about a million dollars of investment from National Democrats. National Republicans did not spend money in that race to help out Chris West. Um, and that it certainly showed in his numbers. And listen... When it comes to the conversation about money and how much does money make a difference, I really have been astounded at looking at the numbers, especially for Stacey Abrams, raised almost $100 million. and. Yeah. Look at where she started this race at the beginning of 2022 in polling. She was about seven points behind Governor Kemp. Almost $100 million later, she is nine points behind Governor Kemp. So the correlation of money and victory is obviously not there in this case. Well, we're going to have so much more time in future episodes to unpack these results and talk more about the Senate runoff. And, you know, going forward, 
what Governor Kemp intends to do in a second term, uh, what a lot of these other down-ticket Republicans uh, who have won office intend to do with their stints in office as well. Patricia, thank you for hanging in there with me um, way past both of our bedtimes. Coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime. Leave a question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Even right now at 2 a.m. in the morning, I think Shaney B. and his interns are waiting for your phone calls. A pause as we wake up. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. I'm sorry, I was on the phone. You know, that's been ringing off the hook. (laughs) Yeah, sure you were. Yeah, sure you were. We thought we were the only ones awake, Shane. Nope, nope, nope. I am up. Turns out we weren't recording at all. Yeah. (laughs) This was a good practice run. You guys ready to go? (laughs) You should leave this in there. I think this is good. I'm you too should. tired to take it out. It's okay. We'll leave it. There you go. Well, listeners, you get a bonus. Well, thanks so much, listeners, to for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. We met so many of you tonight at the various watch parties we were covering. You can now count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news, news breaks. breaks. Yes, we expect a lot of that over the next four weeks. Yay. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.